Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. To Rule the Roost podcast. Um, how you doing, Raj? I'm not too bad, mate. Yourself? Yeah, I'm. I'm feeling all right this week. Actually, I'm not. Not too sure why. Um, <laughs> do you get to, I don't know. You, you know. Do you get up too much on the weekend? Or? Have you just had like a really satisfying shit or something? That's usually when you you're at your happiest. <laughs> you're either drunk, had a giant shit, or sort of. I don't know. Been to see a film. It's quite a good way of looking at it, actually, because I I probably would say this weekend we collectively had the most satisfying shit we've <laughs> had in about twenty two years, probably. Yeah. Oh, in mate. living memory. I I don't. I, I'm not going to do the whole. There's a part of me that wants to do a big forced like shouting, "Come on, you Spurs!" thing, but. You know. It wasn't like that though. It's sort of the inevitability of it was sort of it was a slow release of joy. It was sort of just confirmation. There was some relief in there. Well, lots of relief in there. Lots of happiness, but it wasn't sort of. It's not as if this was the last game of the season and we had to win it because they're only a point behind us. You know, what are we now? Seventeen points ahead with four games left to 17 play. Seventeen points. <laughs> it was sort of it was just sort of getting it done in sort of the most perfect way possible. because um, when I was asked to write about the game, um I was sort of the main focus of the piece I wrote about was about narrative and how sort of narrative dictates most things in football now, so especially the coverage of it and how well poised and sort of set up this game was for the narrative to be either way. Sort of, you know, Tottenham have finally done it and they've done it in their last game against Arsenal at White Hart Lane. And, you know, they've got this monkey off the back. Or the flip side of it is, you know, all the pressure's on Tottenham and they're folded and, and whatnot. It was the, luckily, the, the other side of the car and we didn't have to endure. But it was just sort of, um, it was a bit strange, really. I didn't know how to feel about it. It was, it was almost like when we won at Old Trafford and little things like that. It was not, not because sort of, <laughs> as strange as it sounds, success isn't something we've come by that often it's it's still a, a strange jumper to wear when it's past you you have to almost sort of steady yourself and um prepare yourself you, for how you did react. you see ledley king's tweet after it he just he just posted this little picture that just said there's a new sheriff in town <laughs> which, uh, 
it's just yeah. so dad, you know, like just. He was on that. It was him that was on that slightly awkward. The boots are off, wasn't oh, it? With uh, car crash out, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, production values weren't great, but it's always nice to see Ledley on telly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's, he's so clearly, it's, it's not a, a forced thing for him. Like, when you see patrons of clubs and people who are um, supporters and, and clearly have an affiliate club when they're working in the media, sometimes it does look a bit as if they're... <laughs> They're making sure they're saying the right thing because they know where their bread's being buttered. But for him, he, he does look like a fan. He does speak like a fan. Um, he, and it's always sort of nice to see that genuine side of him because he's we never just, been anything different, whether he whether he were playing or otherwise. He had that look on his face throughout that whole interview whereby, like, because, you know, like you're saying, he wasn't forcing it, whereas I felt like... Henri kept forcing it and really trying to amp up the, I'm an Arsenal man, me, I'm an <laughs> Arsenal man, me. And you could just see like on Ledley's face, like every time sort of Henri would try and like mug him off about different little things sort of here and there. You can imagine like in, in Ledley's head, he's thinking, well, you were playing with fucking Perez, Vieira, Burkamp, all these other cunts. And I had fucking Matthew Etherington and Anthony Gardner next to me. Do you know what I mean? So fuck off, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, as he's sort of saying, oh, we won this league and we won that. What did you win, Ledley? Yeah, fuck off, Thierry, you prick. I know, I know it's all part of the pantomime, but still. I think he's, um, I don't think he's on the greatest of terms with Arsenal at present because I think he he left fairly abruptly to go and um, be the assistant manager with Belgium because I think the idea may have been for him to be progressed up the ranks at Arsenal much quicker than he was and sort of take up Steve Ball's position and, and sort of be heir to the throne if if that's what it is um, in terms of being their manager long term um, but he, he sort of that wasn't afforded to him um, and Wenger doesn't look like he's going anywhere fast so he sort of he took a different job that was on offer to him um, yeah. so I'm not sure um, sort of he's as lovey-dovey with the club um, as it may seem on the outside fuck him don't care anyway um, fucking 22 fucking years we waited for that and it was it's just glorious I know it's a small club I don't care it felt like a cup it felt like winning a cup it's such a monkey off the back I really I just could not care less There's, you've kind of got these Arsenal fans giving it the oh look at the small club happy about it blah blah I I this they made is a the fucking day about it. Exactly. Man. I could not give less of a fuck. And it is it is a statement. It's You kind of touched on it before. It's a huge statement. The last North London derby at White Hart Lane, we're probably not going to... I mean, you know, we've got everything crossed, but we're probably not going to catch Chelsea. But had we lost that game, that perspective... Thanks for that, Everton. Yeah, well, that perspective goes out the window, only because the Arsenal fans claim it as we stopped Spurs winning the league. We, you know, disregarding the fact we're four points behind Chelsea anyway. You, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's how the narrative gets twisted. Spurs bottle it again because of the title. Spurs bottle it in the last North London double, but it wasn't. It was a statement. Like, I don't even feel that we played that well in that game, but we comfortably handled them. Oh, no. Yeah, no, there, there, there was... We could have been 2 0 up quite easily by half time, and it was two fairly poor misses. That <laughs> the reason why we were miss from Ali, wasn't it? Horrible. Yeah, he seemed to sort of just not go through with it as much as he wanted to. I think he thought he was going to get more hurt than he might have been, um, and sort of took his eye off it. Um, but you can't blame him because he stuck his foot in later on and sort of corrected himself um, as needs be. Uh, and in the second half. 
Petr Cech really saved them. He made a couple of really good saves. It could have been embarrassing if it weren't for him. Um, I mean, they, they weren't in that game whatsoever. I can't remember really being scared of them. I mean, there was obviously the, the natural panic that comes with being a Spurs fan whenever they got towards our area and just not wanting them to sort of bounce winning off someone's arse or, you know, a random rocket to come off Thomas Rosicki or whatever happened last time and little things like that always seem to crop up. But it wasn't really that competitive. It was sort of a... We treated them as we have treated many other sides at while And if those two had gone in first half, it would have been another one of those sort of standard 4-0 home wins that we've been dispatching teams with recently. Um, and it's only really because perhaps the occasion got to the players a little bit, which is understandable. Sort of that stadium will have felt far different than it will have done if you know, Watford or who else would be in West Brom um, were playing it will have been sort of a, they will have known the significance of it and I don't think Pochettino is shy about sharing that with them because I think he um, he actually quite enjoys seeing how they perform under pressure and I think that's he uses that as quite a a distinctive marker of, of who he can trust and sort of how far they've come as a team mentally um, in those situations so I um it was a good, good day all around. You I mean we we're not going to really say anything bad about it. It was just one of those things that it's been so long coming. Um, you know, I said living memory before. It really is for me. I'm uh, 24 now, so the last time it happened, I, I will have been too small to even know the significance of it. Um, oh, same here, mate. I, I, you know, I I don't even really remember. I don't remember it being honest with you. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. particularly. Back then, it was, you know, I was Spurs and I knew that Arsenal were the baddies, but that was about it, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's, you know, nothing more than that. But this is just, I don't know, it just, it just it takes me back to all the all the years of shit, the fucking lasagna, the Newcastle last year. It, Because it, 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 I'll be honest, like after after that, the, the Chelsea-Everton result... I felt a little bit deflated, you know, going into the ground. It was kind of like, mm, that edge has been taken off of it. That was kind of the game where you thought Chelsea going to drop a few Pochettino points Pochettino had here. said that um, he kept that away from the players, didn't he? He didn't let them know what the Chelsea result had been. Yeah, and I can understand that, you know, because it, it would have probably, you know, I, I think the first half, White Hart Lane itself felt a little deflated in a way. And that's that's probably, you know, it's, it's a sign of uh, sign of things to come maybe in terms of, you know, if we're talking about, expectation and where fan bases have been spoilt but you know after after sort of 20 minutes half hour you could see again what was at stake that all that other stuff all that other noise went out the window you know even even in myself I'm just basing it sort of the anecdote on my own kind of cognitive process here in that you sort of chuck it so you like well we probably weren't going to win the league anyway we still might you know who knows who knows there's still time for you know and Kante slipped or something like that to, to keep <laughs> up for him. But, you know, wishful thinking, bad things don't seem to happen to that rancid football club. So, you know, um, they'll probably win the league. But you know what? Like this, the, the not having that sort of ghoul, that phantom lingering there that they might finish above us at somehow or another, we just slip up again. And well, there always we... used to be the, um, especially the past few years, it's been sort of the final joke on Tottenham season yeah, exactly. because we've had these we've had these years where we should have finished above them for for 
a few years now we should have done um going back to perhaps even martin yoles um season where we finished fifth as you referenced the lasagna and whatnot um it's it's been a gap that's closed for a decade odd now um and you know there's been so many occasions on which we really have blown it and the fact that you know the manner in which it's been run rather than just the feat itself i think is just as important because if it had been sort of we'd crawled over the line and just about sort of if we'd drawn that match and then got a couple of draws in the next ones and had only just made it mathematically possible and they went on a weird run where they won all their matches and the gap had only been sort of two points or whatever, um, then it might have felt a bit different. It might have felt like it could be a one-off and, and not as much of a statement and sort of a, you know, you know, about time sort of a thing. Whereas because we have done it in sort of the most perfect of circumstances and the most emphatic of, of you know, manners with the way in which we played against them, sort of the points difference, the, the goal difference is one thing that really stands out for me. That's absurd, sort of looking at the table, because there's no doubting, no matter how far away in time you'd look back on this year, as long as we see it through in the manner we've been playing and their, their season continues on in the same manner, who was the better team and sort of how big that gulf was. Because as evident as, evident as it was in the pitch, that's still borne out in the table and that's sort of the be-all and end-all at the end of the day. I just, I love it. And even just on a personnel level, it's the comparison that's, always made and it's one that I think we've half said in jest but if you just to look at kind of the juxtaposition in that performance between Meza Ozil and Christian Eriksen two players who are supposed to be very similar it just seems to be I, I don't know for me it's it's a it's a very good kind of allegory of of where the clubs are at now and just in those two players in that you know yes. the much maligned Eriksen who has said to have had a lot of this potential, said to have a kind of similar base to a player like Azor and Azor has been like off-lauded. Just like the way in which his season has gone, just the sort of the, the lack of fight from him, it just seems to be emblematic of the club as a whole. And I mean, I just I just don't think there's any denying at the moment. Well, you know, okay, I get it. You know, Ozil's won a World Cup, albeit he plays for Germany. Christian Eriksen plays for Denmark. So again, it's another, it's a false kind of point of reference for me. But yeah. you know, whatever, people can say whatever they want about that. I just think I don't know. There was there was no doubting the fact that Eriksen has, for at least since Christmas time, stepped up. And he's really, really, I think his whole game, everything about him has really come up a level. And he is becoming that player where when he plays well, Spurs play well. And I I tweeted out kind of half in jest, but I'm not so sure anymore that I I kind of tweeted out not long ago that I I, I honestly believe, I think Christian Eriksen now is getting to the level where he's punching at, if not punching at a higher level than a Mo- than the Tottenham Modric was. I'm not. I'm not saying he's better than Modric, but yeah. a Tottenham. I mean, Modric. it's a completely, completely different type of player. But it's a completely different type of player. I don't think they're completely different. I mean, there I are do. differences, but you know, I, I mean, they're, they're different in terms of. I'd quite happily see them as two parts of the same team, yeah, rather than yeah, yeah. Of, they wouldn't be competing for the same spot. 
in, even in the way it's set up at present. But I think their effect on the team is very similar in terms of they occupy that same, as we've said in the past, like yeah, they might have metronomic the same effect, role. But they I, they I kind of dictate they, um, our play. They, yeah, players, you know, it's the pass before the assist kind of. I know that. I hate that. I think their method of. Um, shit, yeah, I think their method of going about it might be a tad bit different. Um, I think Modric is a bit more of a subtle player. Um, and those things are perhaps less easily recognised as Ericsson does. But to the respective teams that they're in at Tottenham, they they are equally as important and sort of the main creative hub and, and the person that is most looked for to to be the outlet pass and be the one who, who makes something happen. Um, so there is, there's. It's not as if a, a comparison would be outlandish. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't say no to having them both in the same team. No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. Um, let's, uh, it, not to... The Ozil point as well, I mean, in the past, I've been fairly quick to sort of not jump to his defences, but sort of be that person who goes, yeah, but, you know, he's really good. Um, and, you know, that has been entirely based on past performance, really. And it's sort of in the knowledge that, you know, we've seen this player be one of the most sort of startling, um, creative sort of um, creative players, really, in Europe on his day, especially when he, he seems to give a damn and actually be bothered about what he's doing. But when he gives the type of performance that he gave on on Sunday, if you if you can call it a performance, because it is really that startling how how poor he was and just how absent he was, there is really no question as to which sort of a player you would want in your team. Because even when Christian Eriksen is is poor, especially in the second half of the season, it's not been very often. But he's he's not as if he goes hiding. He's not in a put in a position where he can go hide, and sort of the manager does not allow him to do that. And sort of the, the system is so unforgiving that he's given the sort of position where you, you, there is really is no corner to go and cower in. Whereas Ozil is is almost a, a perfect in sort of on field embodiment of his manager in that you know he he sort of takes the easy line and will sort of shy away from attention and sort of. He's sort of just there without doing much. And, you know, there might be the occasional flash of brilliance when the opportunity is there and he, he seems as if, you know, I might be bothered and there might be somebody worthwhile watching. Against but, someone mighty like Ludogratz or something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he, he sort of has come to the point now where it's so far past his past, his, you know, his previous achievements and um, it's gone past to the point where he, he really can sort of lean on those and go, I'm, I'm this good. He He's sort of the Arsenal version of Ozil. Um, really is a, a poor reflection of the player he could be. And he, he's really got to wear that. And his future likely lies away from the club, which is probably a good thing for, for us because he, he is that good. And he is great. Is- like, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, let's be honest, he's probably going to rock up. You, you know, you can imagine him going to Dortmund, somewhere like that. Go back to the Bundesliga, or maybe even they go to Italy, him, Juventus or something. Because he's, I think away. he's of he, he, Turkey's been muted because he's of, really? of Turkish descent. Yeah, yeah. but still, that'd be interesting. Um, they've got plenty of money to throw around in that league, so um, and he'd be able to go be Billy Big Bollocks over there and sort of a team built around him yeah, and whatnot. Fair so. enough. 
We'll see. I mean, I don't want to spend too long talking about nah, that. Fuck it's, it's not really about them, but it, it is one of those points where sort of I have been, uh, you know, I know in myself that I've been one of those people who have been slow to accept how poor he's been just because sort of there is that almost sort of knowledge of what he's done previously. Um, whereas, you know, th- there really is no forgiving when you get to, to that sort of a point. Nah, nah fuck him. Fuck them all. Fuck, fuck them all. All of them. All the sneering faces and the jibes we've had down the years. Just all of it. Campbell, all of it. Fuck them all. And we've just... I mean... I just love it. I just love the statement. I love it. 17 fucking points now. Might not end that way, but whatever it is. The one thing I would say is that I don't want this to be the last time now. I don't want this to be sort of, we've done it once, we can have another 20 years now sort of a thing this should be the start of a run where we're either you know it's not a question of a will Tottenham finish above Arsenal it's sort of one of those things that maybe if they get back to sort of the level they should be at it it interchanges it should it shouldn't be a thing anymore sort of the Arsenal finishing above Tottenham thing just needs a a spade sticking into ground over it because you know we just can't let that run occur anymore because you know the precedent is set for how much of a mental barrier that can be. So I'm not saying that I want us to replicate the 21 years, although, you know, I'd I'd absolutely fucking love it. But we just need to make sure that, you know, there is some consistency there now and and not get too complacent where that's concerned. But as we've seen with with other things that have gone on and other hoodoos that sort of have been expelled in recent years, we've not really allowed too many of them to creep back up to... Hopefully this um, is in that same sort of vein. Well, just nice that this happens just before we go into fucking Wembley Stadium, isn't it? Um, kind of potentially derailing what you've just said there. Um, It'll be an odd season. I mean, I'm I'm not really looking forward to it, but no, I think it's me. a necessary evil. Yeah, um, yeah, of course it is. I mean, there's no there's no other option. We've looked at other things. I mean, no one wants to go to fucking Milton Keynes. Brighton weren't going to have us. West Ham obviously weren't going to have us at the Olympic Stadium. You know. I think that the the, the other case was um, sort of staying at White Hart Lane, but for safety reasons, having to play behind closed doors. Because sort of by the end of the season, you'd be playing on literally a, a rectangle of grass with no, no stands around it. Um, and I'm, I don't think that would have been any good either. Mm, fuck him. Fuck it all. Um, we've got another fucking derby coming up now after we haven't settled. For dust hasn't settled enough on this one as it is. Um, we've got another load of tin pot twats that are going to want to try and claim that they stopped us from winning the league. Um, the last outlet into the first one, at the, what are they calling it? The London Stadium? The London Stadium. Um, I, I always still call it Olympic Park. I, I don't know why they've changed that. So I think they want to try and get rid of the glaringly obvious link with the athletics don't they which isn't gonna isn't gonna disappear um, they're weird london really brands a bit cringe as well because they've written london on their badge and sort of made it a bit cartoonified and all that sort of business um because obviously they've got their owners want to try and cash in as much as possible and make them as marketable as possible so yeah, well, that's that's pretty much it, isn't it, mate? You got it there. But uh, we are speaking with Sam Incasol of uh, Football London now. A little bit more about that kind of thing, actually. 
Hello, Mr. Sam Inkersol. Uh First first time guest on Rule the Roost podcast. Um, for, so I feel like I should. Uh, actually, I'll let you introduce yourself, Sam. Um, where where can we find your words on West Ham? You can find my words on uh, our website, which is football.london. Um, you'll find my words on West Ham, but if you want your Spurs um, content, then you'll be looking for Alistair Gold on there as well. He's our he's our Spurs guy on Football London. Um, really good coverage from him. He he gets into uh, all the areas of the of, of the club, and uh, especially good with the uh, with, with the youth with the youth players. So if you want all your youth team news, he's definitely your first call. But obviously, all your first team stuff as well. So yeah, Football London. So we've been going about. Um, Four or five months now, um, going really well. Just trying to, and, and always trying to raise the profile of our club. So thanks for having me on. No, it's, it's great. No, thanks for jumping in, mate. I was going to say, it seems to be a fairly fairly new venture. It's one I've seen sort of creeping into the timelines and so on and so forth now. So it looks like you lads are, uh, you're onto a good thing at the moment. It seems like, you know, you're, looking, you're already bigging up the Spurs correspondence. So it's obviously you've got <laughs> a, a decent little community there, which is always good to see. Um, I'm sure that'll change come Friday, though. Um, but before we before we jump into that one too much, um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on how West Ham have, have done this season. Because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's looking a bit perilous at the moment. I don't know if you'd agree, but... It's been a massive underachievement. Um, completely underwhelming as well, um, considering the, what happened last season, obviously finishing in seventh, um, qualifying for the Europa League, uh, qualifying stages, uh, and moving to Stratford. The club was supposed to be kicking on from here, and if anything, they've regressed. Um, it, it's been a real slog uh, this season, and it's not immediately down. There's, and there's a, there's a lot of uh, sorry, there's a lot of factors that have gone into that. I mean, moving stadiums, obviously one, as Spurs have found out when they've gone to play at Wembley. Um, it's never never easy moving into a new home. Um, injuries have been atrocious this season. West Ham have constantly suffered from injuries, but then you have the likes of Andy Carroll on your team. You can't really complain about that. Um, and Dimitri Payet, that whole saga, and then poor performances on the pitch. And yeah, it's just not been it's just not been great. Um, are West Ham safe now? I think they are. I think the 39 points that they're on now is enough, but. They certainly need to be picking up at least one more win out of these last three games, obviously, to make absolutely sure and get over that uh, magical 40-point mark. Because it's, it's an interesting point you raise, and I don't really see it talked about that much anymore in the wider media. I mean, I know everyone was kind of saying at the start about the Olympic Stadium or City of London Stadium, is it now? London, the, Lon- the London Stadium, yeah. The London Stadium, there we go. Um, that you know, a, a lot of the focus was on the trouble and the stewarding and the kind of the the distance from the pitch, all those kind of things. But mm. no one actually really spoke about the actual sort of tangible effect that had on the on the players in terms of adapting to a new stadium, adapting to new dimensions of a pitch, so on and so forth. And obviously, as you've touched on there with Spurs, this is something at the forefront of our uh, of our collective mm. worry at the moment. How big of an effect do you do you think that? Has had because you know there have been these off-pitch issues, but surely it's kind of slightly chicken and egg, is it? Or yeah, I mean, it, it, you think it, it, at Premier League level, these are Premier League footballers, and this is a team say that finished seventh in last season, so it, it shouldn't have an effect at all. Um, they're just moving into somewhere a little bit bigger. You just it's like moving from a bungalow to a to a mansion or something like that, or maybe <laughs> even to a two up, two down, and it, it shouldn't really make too much of a difference. But it really did affect the players. Um, the lack of atmosphere at the start of the season, especially, might have played on their minds because it was very, it was very it would get very quiet there. Um, 
struggling to you, you remember the games at Upton Park especially games against Spurs like the, 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 the crowd was often the 13th man and would uh, sorry the 13th man wrong sport um, the crowd was often the 12th man and and they and they and then rally rally the troops on the pitch, whereas that just wasn't happening here. And they've only won seven home games this season. Um, the seventh was only a couple of weeks ago against Swansea. Um, so yeah, it has been a real tough transition. The start of the season, yeah, it was just stewarding. Fans weren't quite used to the pitch. Some of the seats weren't in place. There wasn't good segregation between away fans. But you have to remember that this is a it's an athletics ground. Let's be let's be honest. It is an athletics ground. It's just been converted into football. And is it suitable? Not really. Um, and the people that are running the stadium are used to running it for the Olympics and athletics events, not football events. Obviously, West Ham are renting the grounds. They don't have control over the stewarding companies and anything like that. That's all done through the people who own the stadium, which is LS185. Um, so it's out of their, it was out of their hands. Um, but yeah, it has been a, certainly has been a tough start to life, but it can only get better. Would you say the results, at least at home, have maybe if they've not kind of picked up as much as you would have liked, would you say from the, from the players being, it's been more encouraging the the signs that you are starting to settle? Cause it seems like those earlier things like the, the interfan fighting and mm. that kind of stuff seems to have settled down quite a lot now, unless it's just not being as reported now. It has settled down a lot. Um, and that's because the, it was actually the, the football club implemented better security measures and they're going to be strengthened again on Friday night because it comes under a category eight game. So um, there's going to be a much more visible police presence there and security presence. Um, the players, yeah, they seem to have settled into there a little bit better. Um, it's hard to tell because as you alluded to, you're quite far away from the pitch. And if you're on the press box, you're even further away, which is obviously where I sit. Um, but say there, the, the performances are definitely getting better. Um, there was a real struggle at the start of the season, um, but they are getting better in the crowd, and then are then starting to get behind the players a little bit more, and it's starting to create a bit more of an atmosphere in the ground. It was always going to take time, but it is certainly getting better towards the end of the season. But it's probably just come a little bit too late, for my, in my in my opinion. Now, I mean, one of the other things we have because we'll move away from the stadium. We sort of gone on about that, and I think everyone's going to have a an opinion on that kind of thing. And mm. I'm trying not to think about Wembley next year too much, to be honest <laughs> at the moment. I'm just trying to soak in the sort of season we're having right now. Um, but obviously we saw, we've seen Payet go um, and he hinted that it wasn't so much about money and this kind of thing. It was about the players around him showing more ambition and the club showing ambition at the time. Um, I mean, is this something you feel? Because, you know, we've just seen Mikel Antonio come out recently um, and, you know, it seems that the club are trying to barter with him over a new deal when he's, you know, I would say, arguably your, your best player nowadays. Um, yeah, I'd go along with that. Do, do, do you worry about that from the from the owner's perspective, that there, there isn't really that determination there to drive the club forward, even though you have this stadium, that they need to kind of start to match that with their ambition that they're showing on the pitch as well? I think people need to be a bit more realistic um, in the terms that West Ham obviously overachieved last season and did finish in seventh. Um, there's not that, but there's absolutely not a grounds that they couldn't kick on this season, which they obviously haven't done. Um, but finishing in seventh, that kind of seventh to tenth place, is probably about where West Ham should be, really. Um, and we know, look, David Gold and David Sullivan. They're not going to go out, and they might, as much as they might want to say that they're going out and spend thirty million pound on a or on a twenty-five goal season striker, or tweet about it exactly. Um, they're not going to do it, and because because they don't, you got to remember it's a business at the end of the day. Um, and, but then again, you suspect um, only paying two and a half million pounds in rent 
for a season for for the stadium the, the funds should be there but you just you just you just get the impression that that money's not going to be spent and uh two pretty poor transfer windows this last season has been has been testament to that okay jose font is now starting to look a bit more like the 10 million pound player that was bought but he started really shakily but last summer's transfer window was absolutely abysmal um can we expect more of the same? There's got to be there's got to be a lot of investment in that squad if it's going to get back up to seventh place. Um, but whether the whether the uh, the two Davids are willing to do that, I'm not convinced. You think? I mean, the platform is there, though, isn't it? You, you can see it is. It's a project there for someone. I think, mm. and it's hard to look around the fact that's probably one of the motivating factors behind moving to the Olympic Stadium, isn't it? It's that it's you know you are the central London team, as it were. It's great for tourists. It's great for you know, the transport links, so on and so forth. It's very new. It just seems to be that package deal there, right? Where you can kind of ship it on to someone. Um, yeah, everything's there. Everything's there for the for, for the club. They just need to just turn that investment on the pitch. You're absolutely spot on. Uh, and, and it's just whether whether that's going to be down to David Gold and David Sullivan or if, you, if you're going to need some fresh investment from likely abroad. They've never ruled, they haven't ruled out... Um, Offer, um, accepting investment, they've ruled out selling the club, but they've always said they've always maintained that if if someone wanted to come in and invest in the club, not take it over, then they'd be willing to listen. Right, so, t- turning our attention to Friday, I can imagine there'd be uh, nothing more that West Ham fans would like than to be. Although you know, it, it's <laughs> although we've put up a valiant effort in this so-called title race, that I'm still not overly convinced about. I'm sure West Ham wouldn't mind being the ones to, you know, completely end it. Exactly. To put it to bed. Um, Mm. How are you, how are you going to get Spurs? Because, you know, putting my Spurs allegiance aside, which is very hard to do. I mean, Mm. we're, we're, we're a very different beast to what we've been in the, uh, in years gone by. Um, You'd like to think. So, I mean, it it is going to be, I would say anyway, I don't know. It's going to be a tough game for you guys, but it's still the derby, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. Are you, do you reckon? Do you reckon the team will be up for it? If you can't get up for a game against Spurs and you're wearing claret and blue, then you probably shouldn't be wearing those colours. If I'm honest, um, it's a big game. It's, it's arguably arguably Spurs at home is, is West Ham's biggest game um, of any season, no matter who where they are in the league and no matter where Spurs are in the league. Um, it's going to be tough to um, hold you guys off that's for sure obviously though West Ham haven't conceded a goal in the last two games they've kept two clean sheets in the row but they also haven't scored a goal and they haven't looked like scoring a goal um, so that's going to have to change um, and it's all well and good coming up against like the likes of Saido Berahino and Marco Arnautovic and and Jordan Shakiri like they did at the weekend in the nil-nil draw against Stoke but Hung Min Son Deli Ali, Christian Eriksen Harry Kane different beast entirely um, West Ham been playing three centre-halves and two wing backs, and it's worked really well. Um, they're very solid defensively, but um, they're going to be certainly get a, a much more sterner test um, than they would have done last weekend when on on Friday night when when Spurs are in town. That's for sure. Who would you say your main danger man is? Cool, blimey! Um, if he plays, it would be obviously Andy Carroll. If he plays, um, we're not expecting him to. Uh, we're expecting him to play some uh, play some part, whether it's really okay. I one, thought he was out entirely, so that's, that's interesting. Yeah, so. whether, whether it's one half or whether he comes off the bench, uh, we don't know. We have Slavin Bilic has his press conference on Thursday. He said he'd be disappointed if uh, he doesn't play some sort of role in the game. So we're expecting him to feature, but we don't know in what capacity. Um, 
the only other danger man I can really think of is actually the left wing back, Arthur Mazawaku. But also he picked up a knock at the weekend. Um, but he's West Ham's informed player. Um, very good defensively. But going forward as well, putting crosses into the box. Loves a dribble. Um, he would certainly put pressure on... Um, down, put, put pressure down that left-hand side or the, or the right-hand side, sorry, of Spurs' defence because he's always always the outlet, hugs the touchline. Um, but it's just finding someone in the middle to, to cross it into because West Ham are woefully short of strikers. Um, but he, he he's he's probably the the, the the danger man because all the other ones, say Andy Carroll, is doubt. Obviously, Mikel Antonio injured for the season, not going to be seeing him. He would be obviously would have been the other one if he played. All right, and uh, can I can I push you for a push you for a score prediction? <laughs> Well, you can. Um, I've, I've, I do I do a few Facebook lives from uh, for for, uh, for football London, and uh, I I have said that West Ham will win one of these next two games. Um, obviously, Liverpool come here next Sunday, um, so I actually do think that they could surprise Spurs. In my in my heart, I would like to say win, but in in my head, I'm thinking probably a draw. Um, I can't say West Ham are going to lose, can I? Um, I think it's going to be a draw. Let's say one-one. Brilliant. All right, and Sam, thanks so much. And uh, well, bad bad luck on Friday, and I don't know, in, indifferent <laughs> luck for the rest of the season. So, <laughs> have a good one, though, mate. Thanks for coming on. Not so, mate. No worries. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save forty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power twenty twenty three award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cheers, Sam. Thanks very much. Um, new new guest, new guest this year. Um, I think. Uh, Sam Diss, our old West Ham boys, he's a bit too big time for us now. Raj, he's uh, he, he completely mugged off my message. I sent him as well, uh, so he's in, he's in my bad books. I'm not going to lie. Um, does this count as an indirect? Is this sort of beef? I think shots fired. Yeah, I shots think, fired. Uh, All right. Shit, I'm sure we'll get over it. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, we we sort of touched on it before we before I spoke to Sam. Um, it would be annoying. I mean. Again, I don't. I caveat this with I don't think we're going to catch Chelsea anyway. But I don't want the the run, if you like, and our kind of title race. I'm I'm sort of I'm doing the little quotation mark fingers as I say that, but I appreciate you yeah. can't see that over a, over a, an audio based conversation. Um, but I don't I don't want it to end come at the hands of them or an Arsenal or someone like that. So. 
You know, there is, there is a bit to... of added spice to it. Yeah, I wouldn't want it to end prematurely from anyone, really, because... Good point. You know, Pochettino's spoken a lot about sort of mental growth between this year and last year, and the only real period where Tottenham appeared mentally fragile last year was in the final few games when, you know, after we'd kick the shit out of Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, which I, I still maintain to this day is absolutely glorious. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? I will look back on with as much fondness as any trophy or league title we are ever <laughs> going to win in, in the future. It will still be one of those clips that I will bring up and cherish for the rest of my life just because, you know, I found it absolutely fucking hilarious and was a joy to watch. Um, but after that, sort of losing to Newcastle and sort of, what was it, Southampton at home and little shitty things like that that they really should have done better in, that they weren't able to to pick themselves up and sort of go again after, um, understandably given their age and everything, all that sort of business thrown into it. But it, it was fairly drastic and fairly obvious just how much they'd sort of in themselves said fuck it to the year and gone, we, we can't do what we wanted to now. We've Champions League's there, we, we don't really care where we finish. Um, how how we finish more importantly whereas I think how they finish is quite important to Pochettino this year He he's aware of momentum and perception and all that sort of a thing um, and I think he, he wants them to finish just as strongly as they've been playing no matter sort of what's on the line I think it might actually be the case that if we beat West Ham second pace is secured mathematically um, because I think essentially the the people behind us are just running out of games we've, to. We've gar- have we guaranteed Champions League football now? Not yet. I think we need to win this game. Um, I think we're three points, maybe shy two, three points. I know that specifically because I've got a bet riding on it. One of the legs has come in. I've, I've put a double on pre-season. I've probably told you already. Uh, Huddersfield to finish top six and, to, and Tottenham to finish top four. Um, and Huddersfield finishing top six has come in. Tottenham finishing top four has yet to be cleared. So I'll I'll know essentially because... Be a pretty penny if you get it? Uh, about 100 quid, yeah, because I, I, I had a... £10 free bet and um, I just got there a tad late because I think people had just started putting money on Tottenham were at quite short odds as well which at the start of the season because you never really know how Tottenham season is going to go I found a bit strange um, but people had started slightly to cotton on to sort of how good Huddersfield were looking in pre-season and that their odds had tumbled a little bit so if I'd gone a bit earlier I might have um, might have got a bit more out of it trust your, trust your intuition a bit more mate yeah it's so, £10 free bet it's literally free money that I'll be getting back. Sorry. Well, but are you sure? You might have to read the T's and C's on that, mate, because a lot of those £10 free bet things will often be like, you win £100, but you have to bet it on the website again. No, fuck no, so, I'll find out. So have a check, yeah. It's not sorry. I'll, I'll stick 100, 100 quid on town to go up. That'd be good. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. We'll see. Um... But uh, I think I wasn't playing actually with Town in the last game because we had Harry Redknapp away at Birmingham and rested the entire team. I was like, you could have just fucking sent him down; would have been funny uh, with Birmingham. But uh, I think he was just resting the team for the playoffs at this point. We've got a um, we've got a. Question. You're just going to completely ignore that, aren't you? Yeah, a little bit. Mate. You don't yeah. give a shit. No, I couldn't care less. Um, you got told off if I don't give a shit, didn't you? <laughs> I did, didn't I? Oh, Guess what? We still don't fucking shit. I know. Imagine, imagine just doing something because you enjoy it. I know. How dare I? Um, we've got. I sort of want. I'm not fully going into the, to the questions, but I think it's going to kind of tie into 
<laughs> this conversation we've had one from a streetcar named Dyer um, at To Dare Is To Dyer. And he asks, do you believe the Walker rumours? Um, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not totally convinced it's just a rumour anymore. I think it seems to be... I mean, the, the state of play, shall we say, as far as I've consumed this now, is that we first heard a few weeks back that City were interested in Walker and his head had been turned, which, you know, whatever. Um, and now it seems to be more so that there's been a bit of an ongoing thing between him and Pochettino over fitness, um, whereby and we know, we know we know what Poch is like. We know that he's very hard on the players when it comes to fitness, and it's it's arguably why Kevin Wimmer has you know not figured in the team at all. It's probably why Mrs. Sissoko hasn't. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, um, it's why Bentaleb fell out of him a lot in the past. It's why Adebayor's fallen out of him. It's something you know you've got to be you've got to buy and you've got to be determined. And I think there's that temptation, isn't there, with with Walker because his his football is so. Um, should we say athletically charged, you know, um, that yeah, it sounds like a racial slur, doesn't it? But it's, I can assure you it's not, it's more based on the way. It sounds worse now you've brought it up. Walk. Well, you know, I'm just getting it out there before anyone else coins a think piece or has some hot take on what I've said there, you know. Um, it's a bit Donald Sterling. Nah, it's not at all. It's not at all. Um, that, uh, yeah, it's quite understandable that Walker might fall out with with Pochettino over this. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I've had to robe myself in a few times because there's been that little bit of me that's thought, sort of thought, you know, if, if Walker's camp are making noises at the business end of the season, then the lad can kind of get to fuck on that. I understand, you know, if he does have grievances and such, but I think there's a time and a place to do it. But then there's also, it always leads me back to this point, mate, where... You know, it's tough. There was a, I can't remember who wrote it, but there was an interesting piece written the other day that was basically making the point that Spurs are actually running the risk of, and Pochettino is running the risk of becoming a victim of his own success, his own brilliance, in that we have cultivated a team and not just a team, but a group of individuals who have probably just far outperformed and, out, you know, just surpassed any expectation that was placed upon them. And we can see that, it, like, effortlessly you can name Harry Kane, Danny Rose, probably Carl Walker, Eric Dyer to an extent. You know, Jan Vertonghen has always been there, but it's sort of tailed I don't think Eric it, Dyer he's... even to an extent. I think he's sort of, his prominence has grown as the season's gone on. And um, I, don't, I don't think his links away from the club or um, sort of interest from other clubs is um, is disingenuous either. No, no, not at all. I mean, look how versatile he is. But it's, it's more to the point that, you know, when we've had this wage structure in place and you kind of name some of those names and you think, okay, a 70k upper bracket wage on average should be enough to keep these players. You, you, you do look at it now and think, well, why is Carl Walker only earning 70k a week? He 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 can easily go to City and earn 150. He can. Well, it's not, it's not just that. It's just the, it's the fact that he is legitimately being the best rightful back in the country now yes. for two or three seasons. Um, and sort of being asked to be paid in kind or... Or sort of at least in line with the you know the highest earners at the club. I don't think it's too much to ask. Um, 
especially given that you know he's probably one of our longest serving players now as well so it surprises me that he's not been bumped up a little more than he has maybe he sort of he's not realized or sort of with the interest that come in it, it may have come in all of a sudden he's not really been one that's ever been linked with a move away before this is really his his first window of opportunity to go um I understand the City link perfectly because sort of he knows that he'll be walking into a team that'll have an absolute shitload of money injected into it this this summer. They will do far better next year than they will do, than they've done this. He'll be working with after Pochettino, you know, Pep Guardiola um, is probably still the world's probably most renowned manager. He's still the one that's got the most mystique around him and the one that players seem to be most intrigued about working with. Um, and he'll get to move back up north as well, which, uh, you know, for, for family reasons, I'd imagine is is a big thing for him. He's been in London for a long time now, but sort of getting to move to, to Cheshire and, and that sort of a thing is, it might be something that tempts him. He won't be far away from Sheffield and, and all that sort of a business. And I know there are, there are players that enjoy that and sort of, you know, see that as a as a perk if they, they're close to their families and everything. Um, the one thing that I would bring up, and one thing that I've been thinking about since the fitness aspect of this has been brought up the most, is I don't actually think it's out of the question for Pochettino to want to be rotating him. I understand he'll be annoyed with sort of the magnitude of the games that he's been rotated in, and there are some occasions that I don't agree with Pochettino where he has rotated him. I mean... I think sort of maybe the smarter thing or maybe the thing that he could have done to maybe curb this a little bit was play Walker in the semi-final, start Trippier in against Palace. Yeah. And, I mean, the semi-final know. was an abomination to me. It, like that's it's one of the worst things Pochettino's done in in my opinion. Love the man as I do. Like the decision to you know I can I can see the Son thing, but to an extent, even as much as I don't particularly. You know, like it, the Walker just not starting Walker in that semi final was atrocious. It's a similar sort of situation away at Monaco. I don't think he actually started any of the away Champions League games. Um, so it's something that's long running. But I actually think there's sound reasoning behind that away from the specific games in which he's put that into action, purely because Kyle Walker's been consistently injured every single season he's played since breaking into the club. Um, and it's been this sort of cycle and a poor cycle in that he he plays really well and he gets to a point where we think he's kicked on and got to the next level and we can sort of start trusting him again as a defender and then he gets injured and usually when he got injured he missed out on a major tournament with England. I think there was two that he might have missed out on, a World Cup and the Euros at least. Um and then sort of the rehab process comes in. He comes in unfit and he comes in, you know, sort of starting from square one again and is a poor and he has to rebuild himself. And that happened two or three different times. So, and they were, they were muscular injuries as well. So there is a precedent there for him to have been overworked and his body to succumb to that. And for him to sort of, you know, he's got to acknowledge that at some point. I know, I understand him being annoyed at the certain games there are, but I think sort of Pochettino's thinking behind it. If it, if it, you know, is born out of what has happened previously and sort of wanting him available for as many games as possible, is that you know there is a injury history with this player, and if he's mistreated, if we were to play him, 
consistently for the second half of the season. If he was to have played every game and Kieran Trippier not got a sniff, I can't see a situation in which he won't have got injured at some point. Because as, as you see, he's the most, one of the most energetic players on the field going front and back. He runs at such a pace that, you know, any slight touch, it was the same with Bale, any slight touch might result in some form of injury just because the sort of the margin for error and danger is higher at pace. Muscular injuries are worse because he's obviously putting his under far more stress than um, slower players do. And just naturally athletically and sprinting as much as he does, um, there's, you know, just that, that possibility is there more often than it would be for anyone else. So I, I can actually see both sides yeah, of this, exactly. this, this thing. And I can't for the life of me think that there isn't, if they want to find a resolution for this, that they can't. I mean, it, it can't be hard for Walker to articulate the fact that he wants to play in Tottenham's biggest games. And Pochettino, you know... And probably earn even, a bit more. Yeah, uh, and earn a bit more. If, if Pochettino was to turn around to him and say, the biggest games we have, you will play and you will be paid in line with the best players at this club, that's the best that we can offer him right now. And if that's not enough for him, then he can go. Because yeah. you you don't want to try and keep somebody who doesn't want to be no, there. Um, and we're well within our rights because he's got a fucking long contract. So we can keep him for two years and not even sweat it and still pay him whatever 65, 70 grand he's on. Um, but the, the, the flip side of that is, you know, Pochettino's got to explain to him his thinking at the same time. It can't, you know, the, if the communication isn't there, which sort of from the reports it doesn't sound to be, because, you know, there's there's method to the madness. I mean, if, if it's sort of, if that's what Pochettino's saying to him and Walker isn't being receptive, then, you know, let him go to City and, and run his hamstrings into the ground and we'll see how long his career lasts. Um, I, I think because this is something that, you know, I do, I worry to an extent um, and I do worry and I think it's very natural to sort of to, to look at where we are, look at how much we pay players and, you know, players are probably going to have their heads turned by the offer of money. I, I, don't, I don't think it's this great evil and I don't think it's, well, I do think it's a great evil, but in terms of in the context of the game, which is swimming in evil, should we say? Um, I don't think it's you know necessarily this. Oh, he's a mercenary. This lad's a mercenary. Like you know, these people are these footballers. They just they want to provide for their families. They have short careers. They can see their peers and fellow professionals earning fuckloads of money. And I don't think it's something really a stick to beat them with anymore. To say, oh, you know, he's a mercenary. This lad just wants to go for the money. And you know, I, I can understand it to a degree as much as I, whether I like it or not. Um, but I do think. I mean, there's probably professional pride involved in that as well, because there will be a handful of dogshit players in the Premier League who are being paid more than Carl Walker. Well, is. Apparently, Robert Snodgrass is getting paid about ninety grand a week. You know, it's, it's well, shit exactly. like that. You know, that you think, well, you know, the the and I I do admire Tottenham's wage bill to an extent, but at the same time, as I, as I've said in the pod previously. We do need to get a bit more realistic with it now. If we're sacking managers who aren't finishing in the top four, so on and so forth, we actually need to look at the wage bills of fellow top four clubs and see that we are still vastly overperforming. That you know that really, if we're going to go down a kind of you know more analytical route, which <laughs> I say very loosely, given my track record on such things, um, you know we it's we're not running a sustainable model at the moment, um, which you know. 
I, I don't think is you know it's it's not that's not us to a to a fault it's actually great that we are doing this and we have a manager you know it just again highlights the brilliance of Pochettino and the way in which Levy manages the club I get that that's great but I don't think we can also expect players to see a uh, £800 million stadium being built next door to see a club getting however much from Nike, from getting however much from AIA and various other investment companies and thinking there are there are people at the top of this pyramid who are earning a fuck of a lot of money now. And this is partly down to my graft, my hard work, my talent that's putting us there. I get that it's a, it's a, it's a complicated tapestry that makes a football club but you know the the pointed head of that is what happens on the pitch it is those players and it's only fair that those players do get a slice of it and I think at the moment they can feel aggrieved by you know again there's there's talk this morning that Toby Alderweireld's just rejected a, a second contract offer from us um over wages and over a release clause you know this is a lot of this is probably paper talk and such but I think in the case of Alderweireld, no smoke without fire. You know, the lad hasn't signed a new contract. Everyone else has pretty much. So there's 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 probably something to that. Um, and I do understand it. But I, again, I don't. I don't. As you as you've sort of alluded to, I don't. I think one of the one of the things I'm getting to the headspace I'm getting to of most things now, um, and football being the pertinent part here is is trying to drop this kind of absolutist view of like, well, the club are in the wrong or the players in the wrong. Um, here and I, I, I do think on on the club side, you know, they they have that chip where they can say, well, you know, lad, like you look at someone like Alderweireld, you know, you you had that shot at Atletico Madrid, and for whatever reason, that didn't particularly work out for you there. You came back to Southampton; they were the only sort of team that were interested in you at that point. And if anything, Spurs have given you that career, you know, that that kick up the arse that your career's needed. Pochettino's done that for you. He's elevated you to this place. Same with a player like Carl Walker. As we said, same with Eric Dyer. I think there was there was some talk of, a few weeks back that, you know, when this Man United stuff came around and Eric Dyer was getting played at centre back that again this might be tattle, but apparently he he sort of, you know, had a bit of a chat with Pochettino about the fact that his, he felt his best position was in midfield, so why is Pochettino kind of making him play as a centre-back now? And uh, Pochettino said something quite spiked in a press conference, which seemed to be barbed towards Eric Dye, where it was like, you know, there were, you know, alluding to the fact that there are certain players that owe their careers, know their kind of what they are, to a lot of the work he's put into them. And I, you, I think a lot of these players, although they can kind of look at they can maybe think, oh, you know, United is this big club historically. You know, even someone like City's a big club. The, how much of where they are right now is also down to the fact that they are playing within a system. They're playing within players that know them. They're playing under a coach that knows them. The intricacies of their play very, very well and has designed a system, not only with them in mind, but coached them into this system that... What's to say that, you know, if someone like Danny Rose, and you know, you you know, mate, you know how much I fucking love Danny Rose and have banged on about him, even when he probably was quite shit for us. He's just one of those players I've always had a fancy for, just as a bloke, whatever, you know. That he's he's a player I could perhaps foresee going to someone like City and actually not doing very well. Because it's almost like he he he's just so 
I don't know if there's just this symbiosis between a lot of the players that we have now and this team and this club that we've built. And I, I think that is part of the majesty of Pochettino, that he has managed to just create this, this unit, but strengthened all of the parts within that. Because I, 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 don't, I don't... I think it's... I don't know, it's, it's hard to really articulate what I mean, because it's derisory to say to lots of these players on an individual basis that they're only really performing well because they're part of this unit because there are some incredible individuals there. But it's almost like all of their individual talents are so uniquely balanced within this one unit that we've that Pochettino has cultivated that yeah. that that's why we are outperforming. That's why we do, as I said, why we are performing in this almost unsustainable fashion because it's just it's it's just freakish and it's it's probably yeah. the first time we've seen something like this since Ferguson with the with the class of ninety two. It's it's a bit yeah. of a false equivalence, but I don't know. I, it's just, it's very tough. It's very tough. And I find it hard yeah. to get too angry with the club or with the players because you can totally no. understand the perspective from both sides. That's yeah. basically I, um, the, what I could have said I mean, in I, short. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with sort of that slightly romanticised view of it because there is truth in that. I mean, the, the fact that all these players have sort of come together from, you know, scrap parts from other clubs and on the cheap and all that sort of business and been put together to be, you know, more than the sum of their own parts by the manager who, you know, himself has only been at small clubs with Espanyol and, and Southampton as well. It is a sort of a, a project that has really outgrown itself in quite a short mm. amount of time. I don't think anyone had expected Tottenham to be where they are quite so soon, even if, you know, even at all, really. Um, especially after sort of the, the state of the club before Pochettino come in. The only issue is that the amount of times we've seen young, exciting squads across Europe jump up like this. You've had Dortmund and you've had uh, Monaco at the minute and, you know, there's, there's countless other examples, Ajax in the 90s and all yeah. that sort of business. Without failure, they get picked apart. Yeah. There's always a bit of fish and that's just a fact of life. The, what Tottenham right now should be doing is they, without conceding to the fact that these players are going to leave or sort of even encouraging that they, they should be doing all within their power to keep them there but they should have a contingency plan in place as well there should be sort of scouting networks set up so that you know we should already be looking at right backs right now we should already be looking going you know if Manchester City pays £50 million for Carl Walker or 45 or whatever the fuck it's going to be, we know where that money is going, we know who we want, we know what deal they're coming in on. And, you know, if anything, that that, that deal gets done before Carl Walker even goes because we want our asses covered, because we are in a position of power with these players. The way in which we've handled the contracts, the way in which we've, you know, positioned ourselves infrastructurally, uh, especially if, if you know we're to believe what uh, Levy and the board have said previously about sort of uh, transfer money being ring fenced and all that sort of bollocks, we should be sort of looking after number one before we you know bow to anyone else because mm. we're not in the position anymore that we were for Keane, Berbatov, no. and. Modric and all that sort of business, Bale even. Bale's probably an exceptional circumstance because I think if anybody ever offers you a world record fee for a footballer, you have to say yes because of um, really... And he wanted to go, you know, the lad The lad categorically yeah. said he didn't want hey, well, to play he, he stopped, stopped coming to training and all that sort of business. Spurs had to fine him, I think. Um, 
So it is one of those things where it is a, it is a reality. Um, you can't really fall in love with individual players anymore in the modern game, as sad as it sounds, because you just really don't know how long they're going to be yours. You really have to just count your blessings for as long as they're there. Deli Ali is not going to finish his career a Tottenham player. No. Um, I'd have more hope that you know Harry Kane did. Um, I'd have, you know, uh, purely for sentimental reasons, that's different. That's always going to be different. But Dele Alli isn't a Tottenham footballer. He's, you know, a Milton Keynes product that we bought at the right time and have helped nurture into the, you know, right sort of player. You know, his his progression into the player he is has been an almost um, fast-track version of Bale's rise. It's almost down to the fact that, you know, we appealed to his parents and there were other clubs interested, but we, you know, we were the best possible option for him. It's a a carbon copy in that respect. Um, So there's got to be a bit of pragmatism in there as well, as well as the romanticism. And and it's hard to do as a football fan because, you know, we we go on about sort of how sanitised the game's becoming. And the last thing you really want to do while you're discussing your footballers and you've just, you know, put together, put to an end a a 20 odd year hoodoo against your closest rivals and all that sort of businesses. It's turn to your mate in the pub and, you know, push your fucking glasses up your nose and go, well, really, we're going to lose all these players. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not fucking, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You start looking at that cunt on Arsenal fan TV who's on about transfer net spend and all that sort of <laughs> shit. I'm sure he's going to get a PowerPoint about player amortization out soon. It's, it's one of those things where you've got to, you've got to strike a balance. You just, you can't, for your own sanity or for your own sort of um, emotional security, you can't really sell yourself up a river and sort of place a, you know, your heart on this Tottenham team being there for the next 10 years because it's, it's really just not going to be the case no matter how much you want it to be. But it's almost what, to, to, I know it sounds a bit naff, but it's almost what makes it a bit more special, isn't it, that you're kind of witnessing this now and it's 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 almost why it's a little, not a little, it's very disappointing. But, you know, disappointing to a degree, don't, don't get me wrong, Um that we, you know, we're probably going to miss out on the title again because it would be nice to just see this this group get yeah, something I'm, that big, you know. Um, so the weird thing for me is that um, I would be quite happy if next year, and this is in bizarro land, by the way, if yeah. this was a different timeline and we were, you know, nothing was happening to White Lane and it was staying as it is, and sort of the form we've racked up and the way we've played the past two years. If sort of if next year was our last year at White Hart Lane, I would quite happily say to the players this summer, Carl Walker included, stay together one more year, give us one more year, we're gonna have a crack at the, the league title. And, you know, we'll give it as best, you give us our best, sign a new five year deal with us, we'll give you hundred grand for another season, and then you can go wherever the fuck you want for however the fuck you much you want. Um, but next year we're going for it. But I don't think that's as, is as an easier sell no. going to Wembley because it's, a, you know, there's so many variables. The, as a record there speaks for itself. I mean, as we get rid of one monkey off us back, we fucking volunteer to, to adopt another. Um, it's just a, a really strange period for the club and a really unfortunate blend of sort of the best team we've ever had sort of, this side of the Premier League being a thing um, quite comfortably and by some distance is falling into this weird transitional period where we're, we're going to be moving home, we're going to be playing elsewhere. And 
you know, with the stadium another year away, you just hope that we're in as close to as as competitive a position as we are now by the time that rolls around because it just for you know aesthetically speaking it'd be really strange to see Tottenham as a home club win the league while Wembley was their home I just don't think that's no it, 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 I, I can't see that yeah. happening let's just say let's keep it keep the fingers crossed for a Kante slipped and uh, so there's still time, you know, there's still time. Middlesbrough oh, yeah. are still fighting for their lives. Watford are still half in the fight. You know, Sunderland, who knows? That might be Chelsea's Newcastle moment. Fuck knows. You know, it's highly West unlikely. It is um, their hardest one, I think. Yeah. So I know. I don't know. Let's, let's, let's just see. Cause uh, you know, Conte, I don't know. I don't really want to go into this one cause they've won the fucking league, haven't they? The cunt. So um, let's, uh, we've got another question here from, at oh look it's will underscore and his I forgot, I'd even, I'd forgotten that was a question to be honest I thought we were just having a chat well yeah it's kind of bit it was a springboard a springboard question yeah, yeah. as we say um, and Will's I enjoyed myself yeah so did I mate it's just you know it's, we let off let ourselves off the leash um, yeah Will's Will's next screen name is Will with a little toilet emoji next to it as well um, which is I don't know if that's a bit cool. of self depreciation there probably. Um, but he asks, did Spurs have a better season than Arsenal in 2007-2008 when we finished 11th, but we did at least win a trophy? Now, I'm, I'm sure this is kind of a, 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 a tongue-in-cheek, perhaps, type of question, given that a lot of Arsenal fans are still holding on to the fact that they'll have had a better season if they win the FA Cup. Um, I'm, I'm I think ass- um, I'm assuming back then Arsenal must have. I guess they finished second or so, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. But that's yeah. that's the Chelsea year, isn't it? When we beat them in the Carling Cup final. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I think um, it depends what prism you're looking at it through. Um, if if that was to happen next year, um, I'm not quite sure that's the case. Um, even back then. Um, sort of with the the record, what it was, um, I'm not sure. You know, I think if you'd have taken, uh, quite honestly speaking, if you'd have offered 2007-8, me and you, either the Carling Cup or finishing above Arsenal, I think we'd have both, we'd probably both wanted to finish above Arsenal. It's just one of those things that means a bit more. Yeah. As, as nice it was to beat Chelsea at Wembley and sort of have that experience and see us win a cup and keep up that record of being, I think, the only second team other than Man United to win a cup every decade, post the war or whatever it is, um, I'd have still rather finished above Arsenal, you know, honestly speaking. Um so uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it, it was a good year, but it wasn't, you know, the greatest. We sacked Martin Yole in the middle of a fucking game and all that sort of business. Mm, so it's not depressing that one. It was. It was a, another funny period in our. And then we were really shit after we won oh, the cup. Christ, yeah. Re- really shit until Juan de Ramos essentially got fucked off. So, um, yeah, just a odd period. Was an odd period. Ars- Arsenal were just a different club back then as well. Yeah, fucking fuck them. They were, they were, yeah, they're a bit of a powerhouse, aren't they? Back then as well, I think. But they're supposed to be now, but uh, we've t- t- talked enough about those cunts. Um, Rowan Stewart at RS underscore THFC asks, your favourite White Hart Lane memory? Um, I mean, you know me, mate. I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, a silly, big-hearted romantic, and I. I I don't know. There's two. Two that stand out. 
which is this weekend. Obviously, I think it was just such a fitting way to do it. It's it's the last game I'll go to there. I think it's it's perfect way for me to see it out. I've had a few people say, "Don't you want to go try and go to United?" But I'm not interested in all that taxis on the pitch and Adele singing and all that kind of crap that people are talking about. You know, you're getting Adele out. Some shit like that. Yeah, apparently, and to sing "Hometown Glory" or something. Fuck knows, but you know all, all that kind of stuff. I'm not really, I'm not really interested in that. I don't really. I mean, it's nice, you know. United are a big team. They're a big, sort of historically a, a big team, and it's quite nice to see us out if we beat them in the last ever game. But to me, I don't know. It's fitting. Harry Kane scoring the last ever goal in the North London derby at White Hart Lane is a nice way to bow out. But other than that, probably, probably the the first game I went to when my old man took me to a game. You know, I still, yeah, I, I vividly be, remember that- it. You know. That'll be my answer as well, yeah. It's just you can't, you can't. I know, you know, we're both a bit soft in that sort of regard, you know, with the whole sort of sentimental and all that romanticized well, that, that, stuff. Mean, but it's what football's all about, isn't it? That's really? what Tottenham are to me. Tottenham yeah. are of my relationship with my dad. Uh, I wouldn't support the club if it wasn't for him. Um, <laughs> Do you know what though? I say this, like, I say all this, like, you know, my dad and all this. And I, I said to him the other day, the fucking milk of the tent, old twat. I said to him, oh, you know, do you, you want to? Try and get a t- ticket to one of the last games or something. You know, aren't you sad to see the old, you know, the old stadium go? It's just like it's not going anywhere though, is it? They're just knocking it down. They're going to build a bigger, better one in its place. You know, boohoo. Like, <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough in it to a degree, but you know, yeah. you know, he was just like, you know, it's changed loads over the years. You know, they've knocked down the old one and built up a new one in the in the eighties anyway. So you know, it's and I kind of. I think some of the, I think um, I can't remember who it was. Someone said on Twitter the other day that there is an air of triggers broom about the whole, you know, we're leaving White Hart Lane thing, which I do to to a degree take on. I, I, That's I know. the club stance on it as well, isn't yeah. it? That we're not leaving; it's just changing. And you know, you can't really argue with them given the fact that there's literally the new stadium poking into the fucking existing yeah, one as yeah, it stands. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there is there is that. I mean, it's a bit uh, of both, you know, isn't it? It's a bit of both. Yeah. I mean, d- d- just the the symbolic thing of seeing it torn down is, and having to move away. If, if if it was, you remember that old plan where it was um, sort of maybe even ten years ago where they were going to build it as it is now, but they were going to partially knock down White Hart Lane and then um, play half a se- play no play a season in a half White Hart Lane and then play the first year in the new stadium while that was three quarters done and that sort of a thing. Fuck, can you imagine us trying to plan that? Fucking hell. Right. Well, that was the original plan, though, wasn't uh, it? I know, but there was all them. Do you not remember all the like the four stage? drawings yeah. and shit that people used to send around you. Um, I think that might have been easier to swallow than a year at Wembley, which is just going to be really strange. But yeah, I'd agree. My first game, I can't remember who it was. I think it might be Sunderland or Southampton. Um, it was somebody getting with an S who had white and red stripes for a definite. Um, and it was me, me mum and me dad. Uh, who I went went down sort of. Um, I was only little, so we got a bus up the high road rather than walking it all the way from the tube, all that sort of business. Um, and I remember it just being. I think we sat high up in the shelf as well because I think my dad gave a season ticket to someone else um, because obviously he wouldn't have been able to get seats around him. Um, and my uncle was in the opposite stand, so we waved to him, and uh, I think we were fairly high up. Uh, but I remember the view and everything. It was one of the first times I remember going to London as well and sort of doing that sort of a thing. So it's, it is a, 
a prized memory and sort of um, every time I've ever been to White Lane, I've gone with my dad. Even, you know, in recent years when it's been me buying the tickets and sort of dragging him with me, um, it's been going with my dad. I couldn't imagine ever going to White Lane on my own. It would be a strange thing not having him sat next to me um, and not, you know, sharing that experience with him. Because uh, sort of, as I say, that the club is sort of, the reason the club means so much to me is because my dad means so much to me. Yeah. It's sort of, the, it's the the physical representation of of that you know relationship between father and son. So, um, yeah, that'll be my answer. Not to be too soppy about it, but yeah, that. Well, it's, it's all about. Neither of us are, you know, XG bloggers, are we? You know, a, a <laughs> lot of the lens through which we view football is the emotive side of things and you know oh, yeah. it's, it's what it's what plays into it you know it might be like you know you don't really care what harry kane's expected goals tally is and whether he's outperforming that so the fact he is scoring as many as he is and he fucking loves banging one in in a north london derby is enough for you to you know hold him as a fucking absolute genius <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, completely. Especially where Tottenham's concerned. Um, it's always an emotional thing before it's ever anything else. Before sort of, you know, we have a conversation where we've got to bring sort of pragmatism and rationalism into it. You almost have to filter your emotional response before um, you speak about it sensibly. Um, because it's just, you know, you're a fan at the end of the day and being a fan is is something completely different my job's to write about football but um my supportership of Tottenham is is separate to that and I keep it separate to that and you know I'm you know I, I do a very rare thing for people who write about sport in that I don't hide who I support because I find that quite a, a strange facet of being a journalist because you you're accused of being biased no matter who you support and no matter who you write about anyway as a rule i I try not to write about arsenal because i know that's the where the biggest grief lies um but sort of at the same time i find it a bit disingenuous that somebody would care and love and sort of have enough tension attention and pay enough attention to football to write about it and devote a career to it without sort of supporting the club. I find it quite strange. I'd almost have more respect and, and sort of, um, and give more credence to people's opinions. If sort of they sort of, you know, were less up their ass about just admitting that they were supported someone. I mean, if you write for a big paper and you know, you support Liverpool, I couldn't give two shits because I'd expect you to be a professional by the time you sit down at your laptop. Um, but you know that's a, a bit of a tangent. But you know it's it's just one of those things, isn't it? You, you support your club because they're your club, and uh, you won't be doing this if won't be sat here at fucking quarter. What is it? Quarter to one in the afternoon on a Tuesday talking about it. Um, if it didn't mean anything to us, nobody's fucking paying us or anything to do this. Um, no, the reason you, we don't... You, you forget, mate. We're only we're only doing this to be famous. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's the. Well, uh... Yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, um, it, especially a, a big event like leaving White Hart Lane and something that's as uh, emotionally visceral as that, uh, especially in the way it's been done, the fact that nobody's going to beat us there this year and we've done it in such fine fashion. Um, 
if you're not allowed to be sentimental and you're not allowed to be emotional about that, then you may as well burn down the entire fucking thing now and sort of give up on supporting football or following it. I hate it, but I'd almost find it quite funny in a way, and it would be so uniquely Tottenham if we to actually lose. if we actually did lose the last ever game at White Hart Lane to Man United. It would be it would be quite funny in a way. <laughs> they be... haven't lost since about 1996 this season. No, so. they haven't, have they? Uh, Is it 25 games now? They're unbeaten. Yes. It's the shittest unbeaten run I think I've ever witnessed. They're shit. They're so boring. That Manchester derby was fucking atrocious. Like Mourinho has just taken Mourinhoism to another level now. But whatever. I don't. I don't want to talk about Man United. Can't be asked. It's. Uh, it feels like a nice, nice little place to to end this week's pod, Raj. That not not on Man yeah. United, but after our you know little waxing lyrical about Tottenham at the start. Yeah. Shitting on Arsenal. Shitting on West Ham a little bit and then back to waxing lyrical about Tottenham. I like it. Same old. All is good. Um, if you Not do- too bad to say we're semi-retired podcasters. <laughs> if you uh, if you do want to listen to any of the previous episodes of Rule the Rich podcast, you can do so on iTunes, on Acast, on our website, uh, rtrpod.com. You can follow us on Twitter and tweet us your... Uh, your opinions. We did have some nice fan mail this week. Um, did we? Yeah. Well, we did. Yeah. Talking about how I can't remember what it was that we. I think Tetrunk is so up his own ass and doesn't care if people listen to the pod. Or I not. Say, I seen one bloke that said you were clearly the David Brent of the podcast. I know. I didn't like that. I, I, that was um, Sam Jam Scones, Sam Jones, whatever he's called. That that friend. As Jack is obviously the David Brent of yeah, the office. What's that about? <laughs> I like that he's written it. Who's the Tim and who's the Gareth? Well, you're definitely the Gareth, mate. But I don't. I don't think the other ones. The haircut. I don't it? think he's. I don't think he's Tim though. He's more. I tell you, you might be. Actually, I tell you what. Seb might be a Gareth. I think you might be Finchy. If anything, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably I'll, I'll, it. To be fair, it's about as flattering as being called fucking Brent in it. Yeah, so exactly. You know what I mean. Tuck so, it on chin. Fucking Brent, right? Dear, oh dear. He says, does I drink? Um, <laughs> uh, I did get very drunk, actually, after the... Uh, after the, after the Don't sound like you, man. I know. It was, was not... It was bad. Didn't drink too much, mind. I'm not, I'm not drunk now, of course. It is Tuesday <coughs> afternoon. Um, anyway, yeah, listen to the old... When it becomes a problem, <laughs> yeah. Listen to... Oh, please help me. Um, listen to all the old episodes of the pod and, uh, yeah, send us more abuse, please. It's great. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.